Well, church, the ancient Chinese philosopher Confucius is quoted as saying, Life is really simple, but we insist on making it complicated. Does that statement ring true for anybody? In modern terms, this idea is known as the complexity bias, which is the subconscious tendency of humans to overcomplicate simple things. And I bring that up this morning because today we're looking at a very simple story from the beginning of Jesus' ministry out of Mark chapter 1, where Jesus heals Peter's Peter's mother-in-law, along with many others, And then moves on to another village in order to continue his ministry there. It's a simple and straightforward story with some simple and straightforward applications for our lives. But I'm afraid that sometimes, due to our innate desire to complicate things, we can take these often simple stories from scriptures and make them much more complicated than they need to be or were intended to be. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. This past week, as I began my study on this scripture, I opened up one of my commentaries, uh, which breaks down its articles into theological thoughts and pastoral thoughts and preaching thoughts, uh, etc. And in the first article, which was on a theological perspective of this passage, the author began to read uh, some modern day cultural sensitivities into this passage. So when Jesus and Simon and Andrew and James and John, uh, the five men in this passage, all entered into Simon and Andrew's house, the author described Simon's mother-in-law as being in a house that was invaded by men. Later, when she was healed of her fever and began serving in response, the author described her service As being under the domination of lazy males. Jesus included, presumably. And so this author was clearly reading a modern day sensitivity to issues of patriarchy and gender equality into this passage. And making that issue the focus of this story, which it clearly is not. She was complicating A simple story. Here's another example from the same commentary. On the pastoral perspective on this passage, the author of that section made a huge point about the fact that when Jesus healed Simon's mother-in-law, he did so by taking her by the hand. And in light of that single detail, he made the entire rest of his article about the importance of physical touch for human well-being. He made that one detail the focus of this story. Which it clearly is not. He complicated a simple story. Now these are just two examples uh, from one potentially bad commentary that I read this week. And I could give you others, but my point is this. That it's very easy for us to miss the forest for the trees. And by complicating these often simple stories, we can sometimes miss the very simple truths That these stories are intending to communicate to us. We can actually change the messages that they were intended to communicate entirely. Now as a caveat, please hear me say. 
that I am all for the thorough study of the Bible. I love our Anglican prayer for the Scriptures where we ask the Lord to help us hear, read, mark, learn, inwardly digest His Word. Right? We should study God's Word deeply and thoroughly because details do matter. And we can certainly have conversations about the important issues of gender and and how Scripture speaks to them. Or the importance of physical proximity and how we were made for community and how Jesus became flesh to dwell among us and why that matters. Right? We can and should talk about these things, but they are not what this passage is about. They may be details within the story, but they are not the main points of the story. And the danger that we need to be aware of is that if we complicate these stories by focusing too much on the details within or by bringing our context to bear on them, then we may run the risk of missing the very simple point that God intended to communicate to us through His Word. And I don't want us to do that. And so this morning, I want to invite us to look at this very simple passage By highlighting three very simple points that lead to three very simple and practical applications for our lives. I don't want to get too specific or too detailed or make it too complicated so that we don't miss what this passage is about. I simply want to highlight the main idea of this passage and what it is trying to communicate so that our lives can be transformed by it. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it with me to Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 29, as we consider together from this passage what Jesus came to do, how He came to do it, and what our response to His work in our lives should be. The first point that I want to make from this passage this morning is about what Jesus came to do. And the overarching emphasis of this passage is that Jesus has come among us in order to heal us and to make us whole. That's what this story is all about. It is simply a healing story. And we see that in a number of ways throughout this passage. This story begins with the healing of Simon's mother-in-law who was suffering from a fever. And in verses 29 through 31, we read that upon entering the house where she was, the very first thing that Jesus did upon learning about her illness was that he took her by the hand, lifted her up, and that the fever left her. Jesus entered into her house and he healed her. This is actually the first physical healing that Jesus Ever performed. But it certainly wouldn't be the last, because as word spread about this first miraculous healing, we're told in verses 32 through 34 that that same evening they brought to Jesus all of the people that they knew who were sick or oppressed by demons. Eventually, the description in verse 33 is that the whole city had gathered together at the door of their home. And in response to the crowds of, inf- of the infirmed gather at this door, we are told that Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases. And he cast out many demons. 
Now the language here that Jesus healed many could indicate that some were there who were not healed. But in Matthew and Luke's account of this event, we're told that Jesus laid hands on everyone who had come that night. And that He healed all who were there who were sick. No one was left out. No one was overlooked. All were healed. And this is the very simple point of this passage. That Jesus has come in order to heal us and to make us whole. In the passage just before this, he had cast out a demon for the first time. In this passage, he heals physically for the first time. And then as the crowds come to him, he repeats these healing acts to everyone who needed them. Matthew said that Jesus did this to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. That he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This is why Jesus came. He came to bring healing and wholeness to our bodies and to our souls. And so the first simple point that I want to make from this simple passage is that what He did for one, He did for all. He'll do for you. So my question for you this morning is this. Are there areas of sickness that you know that you're struggling with? In your heart? In your mind? In your body? In your soul? In your relationships? Is there unhealth that you are aware of in your life And have you gone to Jesus to ask for His healing help with these things? This is why Jesus came. To bring His help and His wholeness to our lives. He tells us that Himself in the very next chapter of Mark when He says that He didn't come for those who think they are well, but for those who know that they are sick. Jesus wants to heal us And to make us whole. It's the first very simple point from this very simple story. Jesus wants to heal you. This reality brings us to the second very simple point from this very simple story. Which is this. The primary way that Jesus wants to heal you is through His message not through His miracles. We see that at the end of today's reading, in verses 38 through 39, where after a full night of ministry, Jesus arose early in the morning to pray, and as Simon came looking for Him to bring Him back to the crowds that were clamoring for more of Jesus' miraculous works, Jesus said, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And then we're told that Jesus went throughout all of Galilee preaching and casting out demons. Isn't it fascinating that Jesus didn't say, let us go on to the next towns that I may perform miracles there also. 
Instead, he emphasized that he had come to preach a message. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, we heard what that message was. At the beginning of his ministry, we're told that Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God. His message was the good news about what God had done. Specifically that in him, God's kingdom and its abundant life had come among us and was available to us. Jesus came with the message of God's love for you. Of his care for you. Of his pursuit of you. Of his provision for your life. Of his forgiveness for your sins. Of his healing for your brokenness. Of his freedom for your bondage. Of his filling of your emptiness. Of his purpose for your purposelessness. Of his blessing to undo your curse. Of his life to overcome your death. This was the message that he preached. This is what Jesus' life was all about. He didn't come to bring good advice about what we have to do for God. He came to bring good news about what God has done for us. This was the message that he wanted everyone to hear and to believe. This is the message that he wants you to hear And to believe that in and through him, there is an entirely different type of life available to us. Kingdom life. Eternal life. Abundant life. Christ's kind of life. Available to us here and now. And Jesus performed a lot of miracles, yes. But his miracles were always and only signs that were intended to point beyond themselves to something even greater. The purpose of his miracles were to demonstrate the validity of his message. The miracles proved that Jesus was who he said he was. And that his message about the kingdom of God among us was true. They served as pointers beyond themselves to the greater healing and wholeness that Jesus wants to give to us all in the life of his kingdom that he came to proclaim. And so from town to town and from place to place and from person to person, Jesus went to share the good news of God and to preach the message of the abundant life that was available to them in his kingdom. And as the people believed that message about what God had done for them and responded to that message through the repentance of their lives, they entered the kingdom of God. And life transformation occurred. This is how God changes us. It's by His Word. That's why Paul in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says that he is not ashamed of the gospel. He's not ashamed of the good news about what God has done. Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is the word of God that changes us. 
that heals us, that even saves us. Because there is a curative, healing, saving nature, power that we experience when we hear and respond to God's word. There always has been. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 8 says that as you respond to the word, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 22 says that God's words are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. In Psalm 107 verse 20, the psalmist says that God sent to his people his word and healed them. Psalm 119 is all about the helpful power of God's word, how it keeps us pure, how it gives us life, how it strengthens our bodies, how it enlarges our heart, how it prevents us from perishing. The prophet Jeremiah talks about the message of the Lord as a healing balm. The author of Hebrews describes it as a surgeon's knife that can cut to the heart of what's really going on inside of us. This is the type of healing and transformation that takes place when we hear and believe the good news of God. When we are reminded of His love for us and His care for us and His provision for us and the life that He promises to us, that changes us. When we believe those things, then our fears begin to turn into trust. Our grudges melt into forgiveness. Our anger is transformed into love. Our sorrow becomes overcome by joy. Our anxiety is washed away by peace. Our greed is replaced with contentment. Our bondages are broken into freedoms. Our very death is transformed into new and abundant and eternal life. This is how God heals us by His Word. And as evidence that this is true, we we need only to compare the stories of those who received healing in the Scriptures with those who received the Word of God in the Scriptures. For there are stories of people who are physically healed by Jesus who never returned to give Him thanks. They were physically healed, but spiritually unchanged. But no one who hears and responds to the message of the gospel. No one who understands the good news about what God has done for us in Christ. No one who hears that and believes that message remains unchanged in their inner being. This is the second very simple point from this very simple story. Jesus wants to heal us. And the primary way that He does so is through His message, not His miracles. And so as you present yourself before Jesus for healing and wholeness in your life, are you immersing yourself in the good news of His message? Are you soaking yourself in the story of the Gospel? Is it what you think about? What you read about? What you listen to? What you talk to him about? What you talk to others about? Are you applying these profound truths to the areas of your life that need healing? Are you trusting in the good news of the gospel to bring wholeness to your life? 
This is His means of transformation for you. And all that brings me to our final, very simple point from this very simple passage, which deals with our response to Jesus' transformation in our lives. After we experience a measure of Jesus' healings in our lives, how then do we respond? And in the end of verse 31, the example that we have from Simon's mother-in-law provides a perfectly simple and perfectly complete response that requires no explanation other than to be highlighted. There, at the end of verse 31, we read that after Jesus healed her, she began to serve. In appreciation of the new life that Jesus had given her, she then gives her life back to him in service. This is to be our response to God's work in our lives. And so my final question for you this morning, church, is how are you responding to the healing work that God has done in you? And how are you responding to the healing work that God is doing in you? We sang about it earlier. He never stops working. Are you serving Him with your life in response? It's what we were created for. It's our greatest joy in life. Confucius said life is really simple, but we insist on making it complicated. Likewise, I wonder how often we as Christians come to these scriptures that are really pretty simple, but insist on complicating them. This morning, let us be reminded that despite our tendency towards overcomplicating things, there are still profoundly simple lessons to be learned in these stories. Namely, that Jesus wants to make you well. That he wants to do that by the good news of his word to you. So that you might know the goodness and the joy of serving him in your life. May he do these things in us. For God's glory and for our good.